Hi, this is Dave Winston, producer of Mission Story Slam and the Mission Story Slam podcast. On April 28th of 2020, Jared Fenton of the Reflect organization won our Mission Story Slam 5. That was our first virtual Story Slam. As usual, Michael Schweisheimer interviewed Jared for the Mission Story Slam podcast. And then 2020 went crazy. A year later, this past May, we decided the world had changed so much since our original interview that Michael re-interviewed Jared. They say that life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. And between getting insanely busy at PWP Video and yours truly getting COVID, the podcast was delayed again. Now with kids going back to school and the importance of the work that Jared and Reflect are doing on college campuses, we couldn't wait any longer to release this show. So occasionally, you may hear someone make reference to everything opening up again. Well, such was the optimism back in May when we recorded this show. So here it is, warts and all, our back-to-school episode of the Mission Story Slam podcast featuring Jared Fenton speaking with Michael Schweisheimer about the great work his organization is doing in the area of mental health on college campuses. Give it a listen. Uh, you good? All right. Here we go. <clears throat> Steve? Three, two, one. Welcome to Podcastus Interruptus, also known as the Mission Story Slam podcast, which is brought to you by PWP Video. I'm Michael Schweisheimer, the executive producer at PWP Video and Mission Story Slam. We started Mission Story Slam to share the stories of the organizations that we serve at PWP Video. Those include nonprofits, B corporations, triple bottom line companies, and sustainable organizations. People on a mission to make the world a better place. We used to gather in person at a brewery in Philadelphia and pick the names of 10 storytellers out of a hat and enjoy their stories as they competed for a $250 donation to their favorite nonprofit. The crowd also selects a favorite story for a $100 donation. But as the pandemic changed everything, we went virtual along with the rest of the world. We had our first virtual slam in April of 2020. We called it Mission Story Slam 5, the Stay Home Edition. Our guest today was the winner that night, and we originally recorded an interview with Jared Fenton of the Reflect organization exactly one year ago this very day, which is a little weird. But as the world was changing so fast, there were edits that needed to be made to keep up with the pandemic. And at PWP Video, we became so busy helping nonprofits with virtual events, we did not have time to redo our own podcast until now. We really appreciate the patience and partnership Jared has demonstrated, but that approach will be less surprising to you as you learn more about Jared and his work. So Jared Fenton, thank you for joining me again on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, from me and Reflect to PWP Video, uh, we really appreciate your partnership. So listen, I, I want to ask, do you think we should, um, as in your story, do you think we should start with any trigger warnings since we're going to talk a lot about issues related to mental health? Yeah, I think that would make sense. Um, as you said, we're going to be talking about mental wellness, um, suicide, masks, and related terms. Uh, so what I do is I, I always ask people uh, as they're listening to me speak to take care of themselves. Um, you know, if they need to take a break, get a drink of water, stop listening, whatever it may be. Uh, if we can all take care of ourselves and model what it looks like to engage in self-care, then I believe we can help to spread this culture 
culture of self-love and self-care to others. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think starting with that brief warning would be a good idea. Thank you very much. I feel, I feel warned and maybe, maybe ready to dive in with you. I just, I want to check in with you. How, how has this last year been for, for Jared during this whole pandemic? Well, uh, I, I appreciate your checking in. I have felt, you know, incredibly fortunate um, insofar as uh, I've had the great privilege of remaining healthy um, over the past year. You know, so many people have not had that privilege. And, you know, it's just been a tremendously difficult time for so many. And so, you know, fortunately, uh, Reflect uh, is still moving forward. Uh, like I said, fortunately, I have my health and uh, with all of the privileges that you know I have had uh, throughout this time and before this time, I have felt fortunate to be able to spend time driving forward Reflect's mission, trying to help people during this time when they really need it. I'm gathering or guessing, have you been able to get vaccinated yet? Yes, yes. Uh, I feel very lucky about that too. I'm emerging a little bit more quickly from this interesting year. Um, I'm fully vaccinated as well. It's been it's been hard to sort of deal with the aftermath of that and get ready and used to seeing people again. Like I've I've been able to hug a few friends now and it is both amazing and strangely nerve-wracking at the same time. It's not a not a great it's a great thing to get a hug. It's a weird combo to be like this is weird. Yeah, it's it's, it's a it's a very strange time uh, to say the least, especially, you know, given all that we know about you know, the importance of uh, in-person connection, but also just having spent, you know, so much time being told that it's incredibly important that we stay physically distant from each other. Uh, we were actually at, at our company just reading a report that came out from Brookings talking about the concerns about students returning to campus, having spent, you know, for many of them having spent, you know, at least the past year away from others you know what is that reintegration into campus life going to look like well i want to be able to dive more deeply into the work that you do and that reflect does and i think probably the best way instead of us explaining it would be to start by listening to the story that you told back in april 2020. before starting my timer uh, i do want to issue a brief trigger warning uh, my presentation is going to have to deal with uh, mental wellness and related terms and so I encourage everybody, uh, please take care of yourself appropriately, uh, of course, throughout the presentation and always. Um, all right, thank you. I'm starting my timer now. If you look in a dictionary, the definition of home is a place where one lives permanently. But there's a second definition of home as well, and that's a place where one flourishes. And it's that second definition that I want to focus on during my story tonight. This story is going to take place in two parts. The first part takes place when I was in college. The second part takes place right now here with all of you. When I was in high school, I graduated. I was interested in wellness. I was interested in health. And I ended up going to the University of Pennsylvania. My hope was that at Penn, I would find a home. I would find a place to flourish. And the way that I did this, one way that I did this, was by getting lunch with a new person every day. 
I would walk into our dining hall and I figured if my classmates were going to be in the dining hall, I might as well sit down with a new one every day and try to make some friends. It would help me to find a home. It would help me to flourish. And so that's what I did. Every day I sat down with a new classmate of mine. And what happened was different than what I expected. When I sat down with these students day after day after day, it seemed like they were putting on a mask of flourishing, an act of flourishing. And later, I ended up performing research during which I discovered that this was the case. In fact, at Penn, there is now a term that the students use to describe the masks of effortless perfection that they put on. At Penn, they call these masks the pen face. At Columbia, they call these masks Columbia face. Across the country at Stanford, they talk about duck syndrome because a duck seemingly glides gracefully across the water, but underneath the surface, the duck's legs are paddling furiously just to keep it afloat. So later on, I ended up finding out that this masking does not only take place when it comes to college students. In fact, the UK recently appointed a minister of loneliness and a colleague of mine just earlier today, switching from college now to the present time, emailed me about the COVID-19 masks that they're experiencing. People projecting that they're flourishing during this time, when in fact, it is so hard to be doing so. So this brings us to a question. What are we going to do if there are millions of people literally around the world that are searching for their home? They are searching for a place where one can flourish and they want to stay there, but they haven't found it yet. How do we help people to get there? How do we lead people home? And this is where it comes to mind a mentor of mine, a mentor named Dr. Ken Ginsberg. What Dr. Ken Ginsberg talks about is this theory called one caring person. The theory of one caring person says that if you can not judge someone, be there for them, and believe in that person to be the best version of their self, that you can quite literally help to foster resilience and break cycles of adversity. Every single one of us has the power to help somebody find their home. Every single one of us has the power to help somebody flourish. And so tonight, again, bringing the story all the way back from my college years to right here, right now, what I ask all of us to do is first to care for ourselves. If you've been on an airplane, you might have heard that it's important to put on your own oxygen mask before assisting somebody else. And it's similar when it comes to mental wellness. And at the point at which you have your own oxygen mask on, I invite you to be that one caring person. It's not a script. It's just about trying your best. Don't judge. Be there for someone and believe in them to be the best that they can be. It can literally change a life. Finally, I want to invite any of you out there who may not have your one caring person to make that one person me. I'm not a doctor, but I can promise that I won't judge you. I will be there for you. And I will believe in you to be the best that you can be. 
If you need your one caring person, feel free to reach out at info at reflect effect with an e.org. Say in the subject line, you're my one caring person. That email will get forwarded to me and I will reach out to you as soon as possible. So with millions of people masking, searching for a home, I invite you to join me in reaching out during this time of physical distancing, but social connection, checking in, saying, how are you, and being that one caring person. So I'm not sure if you track this or not, but in your story, you mentioned that the United Kingdom installed a minister of loneliness. And as the United States, I don't feel like we prioritize mental health enough at all. Do we have is what, like what position would even remotely be close to um, to that in our government in terms of making sure that healthcare is monitored, looked at mental health care, excuse me, that we're paying attention? Well, I know that, for example, Vivek Murthy, the former Surgeon General uh, of the United States, he has done a tremendous amount of work around mental health and connectivity. So uh, I, of course, think that more of a focus from uh, the population in general, including, of course, uh, various structures that we have here in the United States would be helpful for our cause. Uh, I think that if you look over you know, the past 20 and 30 years, uh, people are certainly focusing more on mental health. There is more support uh, being given to uh, those organizations and individuals that operate in the field. Um, but as time goes on, just like you said, I think the more people that are talking about it, uh, the more uh, engagement that is occurring in the space and the more recognition uh, that individuals and organizations have of the importance of mental health, uh, the better it will be for society at large. And I think there's an argument to be made that the better it will be um, for individual businesses in terms of efficiency, right? If we have uh, employees that are doing better mentally as opposed to employees that are doing less well, um, I think that that um, foreshadows uh, positive developments for you know the business world at large, government at large, um, whatever it may be. Of course, that's not my expertise. Um, so those are just uh, my, my thoughts, um, but uh, it, it is what I believe. Have you been seeing more uh, attention placed on mental health and self-care during this during this time? If it, has it ramped up or sped up at all? I have. Um, you know, I, I think that it's notable and notably different uh, the amount of media I have seen around mental health, the amount of media I've seen around the importance of staying connected. Uh, caring for yourself during this time. Um, I don't think that we've done it enough. I think that there you know, should be more media coverage and we should be ever moving in that direction. But uh, yes, to, to answer your question directly, I have noticed anecdotally an uptick in the amount of coverage um, with regard to mental health. Yeah, you spent a lot of time talking about pen, pen face uh, or masking, how has masking evolved as we've all been in this virtual remote world? One item that I talked about in the story was at the beginning of the pandemic, um, 
one of my colleagues was speaking to me and shared that he felt like people were masking about all of the great, quote unquote, accomplishments that they have achieved during this time of COVID-19. So, uh, you know, for example, one individual was saying to me that they got a text asking them what their COVID-19 self-improvement project was. And their point to me was, my self-improvement project is making it through a pandemic. And I think that's enough. And uh, again, in my opinion, personally, I think that's definitely enough. It's incredibly difficult, harder for so many than I could even know to make it through a pandemic. And I think that with social media uh, and other forces, um, a lot of people are feeling pressure to do more than simply and really not simply for many survive a pandemic. Um, so I've, I've seen masking in the sense of, you know, people trying to share with the world that they are excelling through a pandemic when I don't believe that's a reasonable expectation. And I um, feel sad that many, I believe, do feel that they have to put out to the world that they are, you know, achieving uh, goal after goal after goal during during this incredibly difficult and unprecedented time. There's a lot of uh, self-forgiveness need. I was talking to a musician artist friend of mine, and uh, she was saying how before the pandemic came, she would sort of dreamed about a protracted period of time where she could just write and create and, you know, have some time to be alone and reflect upon herself. And then the pandemic arrived and it took months before she was ready to write or create. Like it took time to just adapt to that rug of being out and performing, being pulled out from under her. And um, at least I was, I was proud of her that she was seemed to be forgiving herself for, or not pressuring herself to, you know, maximized every second and understanding that it wasn't, you know, this was not maybe that fantasy of that time to be alone, to create, to understand masking. Is there a difference between how we might mask in person versus how we mask in social media or are the two, do they play together? I think they do play together. I also think that they're, can be a difference. So oftentimes we see people's social media profiles glamorized to the highest level, right? And there are, in fact, you know, tools that can be used like Photoshop, like Facetune, whatever it may be, that can literally make a person look like they could not physically look if you were to see them in person. So in that sense, I think that for, for some individuals, um, there is a stark difference between the social media mask, which could be even more so of a quote unquote different person than their in-person, but still masked self, because there are these tools that can be used on social media um, to make a person look, you know, actually unlike themselves. 
Um, however, you know, when, when I talk about the mask, I'm talking about it in you know, multiple senses, right? I'm talking about this general idea of presenting yourself as somebody that is not your authentic self. And that can be done, of course, on social media. It can also be done in person and is done on both social media and in person. I mean, I, I feel like it's that social media almost begs masking. It almost begs. I mean, well, like you're saying, there's all these toys and filters and things to play with that are so popular that are literally, even if you're just putting goofy characters on, it's you're still hiding behind that stuff, I would think. It's, uh, it's so interesting to me how these terms developed at different you know, schools across the country. Um, and then, as, as I said in the story, I believe, you know, also uh, this phenomenon of pen face is international. Um, but something that I thought about while I was doing the research was you know, college students, in my uh, experience, don't have too much time. They're relatively busy individuals. And, um, you know, I would say that most of the time, generally speaking, um, with their free time, many people are not thinking about these uh, phenomena that exist on campus, these forces that exist that are acting upon students, whether, you know, for example, pen face, duck syndrome, the undertow, and thinking about, okay, what name, potentially school specific, could I come up with that perfectly describes this phenomenon? But the fact of the matter is, these names did come from the community. And so what that said to me was these phenomena, pen face, duck syndrome, the undertow, which are a very similar phenomenon, are so pervasive and so debilitating that college students said, we can't ignore this. We have to figure out some way to talk about what's going on. And then again, the communities came up with these almost perfect, right? I, I, I wish that there were no need to name these phenomena because they weren't happening, but at the point at which they are, you know, incredibly descriptive and precise names, pen face, putting on the metaphorical mask at the University of Pennsylvania, right? Columbia face, duck syndrome, like I talked about in the story, the undertow. You, know, you think about it and you go, oh my gosh, you know, that really does describe it. Uh, but again, these are coming from the community and coming from a community that I think generally speaking is quite busy and not necessarily thinking about these things. Yeah, there's so much needed and valuable discussion about equity and privilege happening right now. Where does Where does masking intersect with privilege are they are they related is there an intersection and does that does that topic come up in your work and when you're working with these students one question that people often ask me which i think is related is you know, they say you serve a, a, a host of different schools um, you know you serve city institutions you serve uh, you mentioned you know ivy league institutions you serve all these different types of schools do you find that um, the masking is different or more so uh, at one place versus the other? And what I often say in response is, 
um, we find that the masking exists uh, at all the different places that we serve. Now, our organization works to help decrease uh, the instance of people wearing these masks, right? But the reason that we're brought in in the first place is oftentimes because they have this culture of masking. Um, but what's very interesting to me is you take two different schools of ours with two very different populations. Um, one school and you know one group of students at that school might have um, a discussion at one of our gatherings and speak about um, the pressures that come with um, extracurricular involvement at that school. At another school, we might have a group that is talking about how they feel that they have to uh, mask their true emotions and act like they're flourishing when they're working three jobs, right? A single parent of multiple children and going to college. So what we find is that the masking where we serve, again, generally speaking, is pervasive, is there, uh, but the masks can be about different things depending on the individuals served, depending on the population served. At the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to create these supportive communities in order that wherever your population is, whatever your community is, that community is supporting each other and creating these protective environments that help us to thrive. So for the work that Reflect is doing, what are the main goals? Is it, I, I understand that maybe your work started around this phenomena of masking, but is, is it, are you just battling sort of one issue or has it become deeper than that? Like, cause I would assume when you start to get people together and talk about mental health, there could be a whole variety of questions or thoughts or topics that come up. So there, there are a number of ways that we bring students together. Um, I'll focus on two different programs. Uh, one is called our Reflect Roundtables, um, where whether physically, if possible, or virtually, which uh, we've been doing for the past year, year and a half, we bring um, students together to break out into different um, peer-led discussion groups where they theoretically take off their metaphorical masks and connect with each other as these authentic self-loving allies. And what we're able to do is we are able to help students experience what life is like unmasked, what life is like when you have this supportive community around you. And in doing so, because everything that we do is peer-led, because everything we do is intentionally empowering, we inspire students to take this way of interaction, right? This open, honest, supportive way of communicating with each other, of relating to each other outside of the physical or virtual space in which the Reflect Roundtable takes place and expand that to campus at large. Uh, another one of our programs is called Reflect and Connect, where we intentionally work with small groups of students 
that periodically meet with the exact same uh, group in order to, in a uh, tailored sense, create this close-knit community of people that care about you. And we have a number of other programs as well. Um, so getting back to your original question, it is hard for many to take off the metaphorical mask. However, if we can empower students to do this, and if we can empower those students to empower other students to do it, then ultimately, again, grand vision, the grand vision is not for Reflect to have 10,000 program sites. The grand vision is for Reflect to no longer exist because students themselves have the power to be these caring people for each other. Students themselves have the power to take off their medical, metaphorical, excuse me, masks of perfection and be these authentic, self-loving allies. And so that ultimately is what we're aiming to do, help to shift the culture of college uh, student life in such a way that we are helping to create these protective communities where students are supporting each other. You talked in your story about self-care. Has, has your, have your ideas around what self-care is or looks like, have they evolved during the pandemic or is self-care kind of a consistent topic? I think that the general statement that every single person deserves self-care has not changed and I think should never change. I think that the ways in which people care for themselves, some have stayed constant, but I think there are also new ways that people are caring for themselves. Um, I also think that as a result of COVID, there may be many people that don't go back to an in-person job. So maintaining some of these self-care strategies, I think, can be very helpful. It sounds like you definitely have done a lot of evolving of how you're doing your work at Reflect. Um, did did this evolution, did you, did you end up evolving your mission in any way as well? Our mission has stayed consistent. Um, our organization strives to empower students to foster a culture of allyship, authenticity, and self-love. And I believe that that is applicable in a virtual environment and is applicable in a physical environment too. Culture doesn't stop just because you're in little boxes on Zoom. It's, it's still there for us. And people can still be bullying in a chat, I'm sure. Absolutely, even more so sometimes. So listen, now that we're getting ready to go back and return to campus, um, how can people get involved with Reflect? And I'd be interested about not just how students can get involved, but also others who are not currently students. Uh, if anybody ever wants to get involved with Reflect, we would love to have your involvement. Uh, you can email info, I-N-F-O, at reflect, R-E-F-L-E-C-T, effect, E-F-F-E-C-T dot org. And we monitor that email and we will get in touch with you. There's also a get involved tab on our website, reflecteffect.org, that you can check out. Um, if you're a student, 
and want to bring a chapter to your institution, we can work with you on that. If you're a student and you want to get involved with a chapter at your institution, we can work with you on that. If you're not a student and want to support our efforts, there are a number of ways in which you can do that. So uh, if anybody's interest is sparked by this conversation, um, please reach out. It is only because of the support we get, the engagement that we receive, that we are able to drive this mission forward. So thanks so much for asking, Mike. Well, and I'm interested. Um, I, I don't think that a lot of our listeners are students. Um, so how do uh, how do adults support? What kind of volunteer, you know, just an example or two, what kind of volunteer work can someone do with Reflect? Sure. So we have, we have a number of committees uh, that we have volunteers sit on, uh, you know, helping grow our organization, helping uh, advise the strategic direction of our organization. Uh, there are also people who bring, for instance, QPR trainings to their community. So uh, our organization got a grant uh, to be trained to instruct uh, essentially CPR, but for individuals uh, that may be in crisis. So the CPR model, right? If you, you know, if we train enough people to recognize what cardiac arrest may look like and then be trained to help, you know, keep that person alive until the ambulance comes, um, we can help to reduce the instances of death by cardiac arrest. Uh, similarly, um, QPR is a intervention um, developed by uh, an individual named Paul Quinette, which stands for Question, Persuade, Refer. So if we arrive upon an individual that we think may be uh, in crisis or in distress, um, we can question those individuals, asking them um, in a uh, supportive and loving fashion, not in a judging way, not in a way with dread, if they're thinking of killing themselves. And if they are, we can help to persuade them to live and ultimately refer them to the proper help. Um, and like so, decrease the instances of death by suicide. So it's about an hour to two hour training and it teaches you how to be a gatekeeper um, joining uh, those of us in Reflect and so many more worldwide in this uh, life-saving mission. That that's uh, that sounds really powerful. It's exciting, and I'm glad to yeah. hear that there's people starting to be out in the community that might have those skills to know how to, without judgment, have a gentle intervention to maybe help save someone's life who's contemplating suicide. Yeah, and you know something that that I think is so critical is um, one of the leading myths regarding suicide is that asking somebody whether or not they're thinking of killing themselves can put that idea into their head. It can't. Um, that's what the research has shown. Somebody is either suicidal or they're not suicidal. And so a lot of people are worried, right? Like I said, that if they ask the question, they'll put the idea in their head. But actually, what we found is that by asking the question, again, without dread, without judgment, with care, with compassion, you can extend a listening ear to that person and say, hey, I'm here for you. I want to help you. There is hope. And if that person opens up to you, 
lets them know, gives you some indication that they are thinking of killing themselves. Well, thank goodness they told you because now you can work to get that person help, the help that they deserve. Um, if anybody's interested in how to have this question and the importance of asking the suicide question, you can check out Seize the Awkward. If you just Google Seize the Awkward, it's a joint campaign by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the Jed Foundation, which is all about seizing that awkward moment when um, you think somebody might be thinking of killing themselves. And it's very awkward to ask, but it's so important that you do. And it gives you strategies for how to do that. Um, the other item that I would add is um, if anybody is ever thinking of suicide um, or um, if anybody is ever worried about somebody else, um, you can always call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24-7-365 at 1-800-273-8255. Uh, and if you're uh, a texter rather than a caller, um, you can text uh, HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. And uh, there are trained crisis workers, both at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and at the Crisis Text Line, uh, that are there 24-7, 365, to help you if you're in crisis uh, or to help you help somebody who you think may be in crisis. There's always hope. Um, that is a, a critical message. That's awesome. That makes me, the whole point of what we're doing with Mission Story Slam is the idea of being able to take some time and bring our community together and hear about the different work that we're doing, trying to trying to bring some good into the world and how hard it can be uh, when you're mission focused. And when that can, when those intersections, when those new relationships can bear fruit like that, it's just, it's just awesome. So I really appreciate your sharing that story with us. Jared, I appreciate your coming back for the second time for the Redux. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you. And um, yeah, I'm really interesting to learn about what you're doing and to have some time with you and your positivity. It's great energy. Well, um, it's such a privilege. Uh, thank you, like I said, for all of your positivity and all of the light that you, Dave, the team of PWP Video brings to the world. Uh, it is a, a true privilege uh, for us to be a partner of yours. And thanks as well uh, to Ashley Tobin and Perry Monastero for introducing me to PWP Video in the first place. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank our listeners. It is great to be back with the podcast, and we're going to keep showing up in your feed with more interviews with storytellers from Mission Story Slam. In the meantime, we would love to hear from you. How can we make this podcast better? How does storytelling keep you engaged with your mission? As this pandemic has made clearer than ever, we are all in this together. So you can go to our website, missionstoryslam.org, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please do share this podcast with friends and colleagues you think would enjoy what we're doing at Mission Story Slam. I'd also like to just take a second and recommend two other podcasts I believe are relevant for our audience of do-gooders. And actually, we're proud to be producing them here at PWP Video. Where Policy Meets People is about the intersection between public policy and the real-world impact on people. It's from Jev Human Services, and it's hosted by Policy Wonk with a Heart, Kristen Rantanen. I also want to recommend the Mission Business Podcast from your part-time controller. Uh, that podcast highlights professionals and stories from the nonprofit sector and beyond, and it's hosted by YPTC managing partner Jennifer Oliva, and the show weaves together some fascinating interviews and other unique segments, like there's an upcoming one called Ask the Clown, 
uh, when they talk to people from a nonprofit called Healthy Humor. So this podcast has been produced by Dave Winston. It's brought to you by PWP Video. We are Video with a Mission. You can find us at pwpvideo.com. We'll be back much sooner than this one with another episode. And until then, I'm Michael Schweisheimer, and I look forward to sharing the next story behind the story with you soon. Hi, this is Dave Winston again. We're back to our monthly schedule of Mission Story Slam podcasts. Make sure your subscription hasn't lapsed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast fix. And watch social media for the announcement of our next Mission Story Slam.